Loyal 4 for 4 and Move the Line fans will recognize today's guest. We are joined by our very own John Daigle to unpack his recent mock draft up on the sites. We're also going to try to comb through all the recent news and movement at the top of the draft here on this week's Move the Line. Hello and welcome to Move the Line, joined by a familiar cast of faces, our standard Move the Line crew and our standard draft crew, uh, kind of merging into one. Joined here as always by Connor Allen, Scott Smith for draft season, and obviously our friend who joins us all the time in season, it is John Daigle. I'll start with you, Daigle. How are we doing, bud? Doing well. Mid-70s here in Chicago, which always makes everyone happier, especially when it's the offseason and you have more time to go outside and touch grass, so... Doing really well. Uh, this NFL draft, as we'll talk about at the top of the show, is a wild one. Fewest bets in our tracker that I've seen in the bets. I haven't even laid a single bet, even though I have a couple behind the scenes that I'm betting myself but don't want to give to anyone because I don't want to put them in an odd position since all of it right now is just jargon. Like we are dealing with um, news from either side on every player right now. We are getting the least amount of help that I can recall in the last decade from national reporters that matter, like Peter Schrager, Daniel Jeremiah, Todd McShay. McShay, even for the great work he's doing, has gone every direction on Bryce Young, for instance, saying not only is he the best player, he also won't go number one, but he will go number one. I've, I've seen every single angle. So there's just a lot to talk about and decipher here. A lot to unpack. I feel like the more we know, the less we know. It is, uh, you know, we're getting close, though. We're approaching two weeks at this point. You know, recording here on a Wednesday afternoon. We are two weeks away from draft eve. And, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see what you guys have parsed through in the last week since we last met. Connor, how are we doing? Good. Yeah, as Dago mentioned, super nice out. Was at Wrigley last night for the Cubs game. Uh, it was it was awesome. Um, but summertime shy is here. Uh, one of the few times in Chicago that you're proud to be part of this city where because people come out they party uh it's always a good time so uh yeah i mean nfl draft though thankfully coming up here in two weeks i just want we need more markets and we need more information as you guys mentioned it's it is getting thin when we only have over unders posted at one sports book i don't blame dk at all honestly i think FanDuel, can be all of them just dropping the ball hardcore right now yeah this time last year we had a pretty extensive menu over at like points bat or you know FanDuel like you know, that just is, we've been begging for more markets, but at the same time, even the markets that we're limited to, we're not getting consistent information out of those spots too. One of the guys, obviously in the space, who's been fantastic at it for a very long time has been with us. Uh, if you have not been listening to the draft pods to this point you can go back, uh, kind of get a feel for where we're at. I've uh, been plugging along successfully with mock drafts for years and is really keeping his finger on team visits and all that type of stuff going on. Obviously Scott Smith, Scott, how are we doing today, bud? Good, man. Dealing with pollen season that comes along with draft season down here <laughs> in Louisiana. So just uh, grinding through a lot of these visits and uh, trying to comb through some of my connections so we can sort out some of this Bryce Young, CJ Stroud nonsense that's going on. Yeah, tea times are being made here in Chicago. Good things are happening. We're, we're excited about where we are in terms of uh, the calendar and where we're moving. So I want to remind folks, again, if you are watching on YouTube, we appreciate that. Uh, like the video, subscribe, all those great things here on the 444 Bets YouTube page. We also have a 444 Football YouTube page as well. Where obviously, you get all of the standard fantasy stuff along those lines if you're into that uh, audio podcast, wherever you're listening. Rate, review, all those things. We really appreciate it. Uh, we also have a way to get access to all of our bets here at 444. You want to get a taste of it. 
uh, you can get it for really, really cheap. You can get over to 444.com slash plans and get a betting subscription, access to everything on the site. You want to get a taste? We partnered with um, No House Advantage, $5 deposit at No House Advantage. Uh, it is a pick'em site. You can go into the app store, uh, download the app, use promo code 444bets. Again, minimum deposit of five bucks, basically a $150 value to get a three-month betting subscription. You get all of our draft bets, all the content on the site. Daigle's doing all sorts of best ball stuff and getting you ready for your season-long drafts. Uh, you know, we're previewing team by team, getting you ready for all that stuff. Everything on 4 for 4 for just 5 bucks with no house advantage. Uh, Daigle, I'll kick it to you because we really don't have any thoughts uh, in terms of what you're thinking before we jump into your, your mock draft. Uh, and, you know, Producer Sal, we could pop that up there too if you want to throw it up. A lot of news, right? We felt pretty sure that we knew it was Stroud and Young going at the top. It's kind of how you have it here in your first mock on the site. Again, you can get that for free by going over to 444.com and follow along. What do you make of all the news in the last week? We've seen a shift in the marketplace since we've last met with uh, the Bryce Young steam uh, moving. And that's kind of, I think, maybe what's going to be your argument. It's kind of been mine. These are, to Connor's point, we've such limited markets out there. It's like a match in the fire, you know, one video, one report, and really the line starts to move. And I think you just get steam chasing more so than any concrete information. What do you make of the one, two market with Stroud and Young right now? As I've been yelling in our Slack the last month, we should only be playing the long game here, understanding that we were always going to get a better number on CJ Stroud since at this time, I still think the odds are driven solely by clickbait. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, Todd McShay, as I mentioned earlier, are putting out these mocks. But even then, when you read the descriptions, they say, for instance, that they want to try something. Like Lance Zierlin's most recent mock, he literally said, I'm just trying to fit this player here since I fit Y here in my last mock, which doesn't give any reason to any analysis. It's just saying, I'm just seeing what this looks like publicly. And thus, lines are then moving based on absolutely nothing. And so we've seen, as you mentioned, the last couple weeks now, Young, yes, has been steamed to minus 250, minus 300 a few books, and he did visit with the Panthers personally. We are getting C.J. Stroud's visit next week, so I wonder how much that line crashes yet again. But if you are betting Stroud, and I still am somewhat confident, 60-40, 70-30 is C.J. Stroud, now is obviously the time to do it. Like This is when we bet, not when it's minus money, when we are getting plus money is when you're hammering this line right now. I still believe, and I could be wrong. This is not even a hard stance. Like I said, I'm very open to Young going number one overall. But I still believe this is strictly a smokescreen. I still think the Panthers are dangling this carrot because they know they have their player locked in and Stroud, and they know the Texans, as stubborn as Nick Cesario is, because he comes from the same stubborn Patriots cronies line that does the same thing every single time they go to another organization. They get locked on their one player. And it's very clear the Texans want Bryce Young due to their ties to Alabama and Nick Saban, since that's who is tied to the Patriots. Thus, if the Panthers know that the Texans only want Bryce Young, it only makes sense. They're only doing their due diligence to put it out there that they are then interested in Bryce Young three weeks out from the draft. That's where I stand right now. Again, it could move, but one and two, I still think is Stroud and Young. Uh, Connor, Daigle laid out a 70-30, 60-40-ish number there in terms of confidence there. We played you know, Stroud number that we thought was, was moving and getting away from us. You know, Obviously, we're on the wrong side of that now, but uh, to Daigle's point, you know, if you are still confident, um, you're not a bad time to jump in on Stroud. Or do you suggest holding or really what's your confidence level in terms of if you were to put a number on the Stroud young thing? Because the dynamic here that's interesting is, which I believe you talked about it recently. It doesn't seem like Stroud is the guy for the Texans. And that's 
probably why there's some posturing here. It brings in a whole other element that, you know, who goes number two and the chain of events that follows is kind of why it's really, really hard and difficult to kind of parse through right now. But where would you put your confidence level in, in Stroud Young? Yeah, I probably still go 60-40 uh, Stroud Young at this point. But I think, so based on what we know since last week, because obviously with the Young team, I was freaking out a little bit. Scott was freaking out a little bit, you know, reaching out to as many people as we can. From my understanding, uh, there's like a split within the organization, right? So it's like some people, the coaching staff particularly, want Stroud. Others want Young. Now I think that the coaching staff probably likes Young. And I think that the ownership and wh whoever's on uh, on Stroud or on Young likes Stroud. But how that shakes out, I think we don't really know yet. And it seems like after this visit, like the final decision will be made. Um, and I think that part of the reason that we you know, played that early number was because I mean, at least I kind of adhered to the theory that you probably traded up knowing who you were going to get. And I think that's still actually possibly true. And it's something like what Daigle said is that the timing has been very peculiar about the, the Panthers saying, oh, okay, yeah, we want Bryce Young. And then the Texans now responding and saying, well, we don't even need a quarterback. We don't like CJ Stroud. We don't even need a quarterback. We're, we'll take whoever, you know, like a two. And so it's kind of like, I think the tug and pull, uh, you know, of this one and two situation is I think that Scott Fitterer and the Panthers are really hoping to squeeze the Texans for another draft pick, get them to trade up and then still get either one of their guys. Cause I think that they like legitimately like both. Now that has not been the Texans response at all. You know, that has been, it has been the opposite. It's been, Oh, we'll take, you know, Will Anderson, we'll take Tyree Wilson, all those things here. But my kind of my issue though, with this Texans thing and something that, I just do not buy at all is that they're not going to take a quarterback at two. And I mean, you guys can lay it out here, but if you look at this Texans team, they're not like if they pick at two and 12 and pick two more players, they're not bad enough, like to be in this conversation again, automatically. Um, and at the same time, like I, you Lance Zierlein had in his mock them trading up to pick Will Levis. That is just the most ridiculous scenario ever. And the biggest gamble, like you quarterback going three, four, five, is so likely, I think, or like four quarterbacks going in the top five, six picks that like, sure, could Will Levis be there at seven or eight or nine? Maybe, I mean, but you're really telling me that you're willing to risk running another year of Davis Mills and Case Keenum at this point back, like with this team? I mean, to me, it makes no sense. I get that they think they have some stability with signing D'Amico Ryan, so a longer contract, but I mean, I just don't know how you can sell that to your fan base to say, yeah, we were rotating Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll as our red zone quarterback last year. And now we're coming in, we're going to run it back, but we're getting better. Don't worry. We're getting better. Like just makes no sense to me. So I'm out on that. I think they're going to pick if it goes young one, I think they'll pick Levis or Stroud. And that was maybe what I was taking away from that. Scott is even if we kind of laughed at the Zerline mock draft, but maybe the nugget in there was, the interest in Levis, right? Because the Zerline connection, you know, he's had some success in landing with the Texans draft pick. He was on, you know, Derek Stingley Jr. last year before really anyone else was nationally. And that might be the breadcrumb to take away from that when you want to tie in the concerns about the Texans not being on CJ Stroud. You know, the connections with, um, you know, Lombardi coming out recently saying, I think that CJ Stroud, I'm hearing that he's difficult to coach. We know Lombardi was a part of the Belichick circle for a little bit he's probably got ties to you know Nick Casario and that's probably not a difficult thing to kind of tie together and then you get into maybe there's some Le Will Levis love and again 
the dynamic there where, you know, we both are marking Levis to go 11. Daigle's got him there as well. And there's a real shot that Levis is in play at number two, which just kind of speaks to the volatility of where we're at. So, you know, what do you make of kind of what we've seen here at the top of late? It's just hard for me to see Will Levis there at, at number two. Um, I, I think when you start looking at all the the scouts and, and the guys that evaluate prospects and there's a big gap between CJ Shroud, Bryce Young, and then where you find Will Levis and, and Anthony Richardson to a lot of people. And some, some people even have Hendon Hooker as the third quarterback. So it's hard for me to see the see Houston taking Levis over Stroud. Um, I tend to think the, the whole agent issue with the Deshaun Watson incident that went down with Houston is a little bit overblown. I don't see somebody holding such a grudge that they're not going to make the best team. I mean, the best move for their football team, you know, if CJ Stroud is that guy. Um, it, it's just, it's a situation I, I've been scouring through as much information as I can between both Carolina and Houston. And, you know, it, it's up in the air for right now, but I, I tend to, to go and lean in the, the position that I don't see them passing up on a quarterback. However, with that being said, you know, I, you just had Ryan Leaf on, on Good Morning Football today talking about the quarterbacks that are going to be in next year's draft, saying that all three would possibly be drafted before the top two here. So, there is an outside scenario and, and, you know, I've started playing around with, with the scenarios a little bit to see, you know, let's just say Bryce Young does go one and Houston does pass on, on quarterback. I, I don't think it makes sense considering they only gave Case Keenum a $4 million contract to, to be the backup slash one B for if they do roll out there. Um, but, you know, I, I don't see a reason for them to have three quarterbacks on the roster I think there is an outside spot. And if that was, you know, Bryce Young to go number one, the two teams that we're talking about that need quarterbacks in Indianapolis and possibly Tennessee are both in the same division as Houston. So would that even be an option for those teams to move up to two if Stroud was available at two? So those are just some of the things that I'm looking at right now, trying to piece together to figure out what makes sense. For the... Lance Zierlein mock, yes, it was laughable, but I also think uh, another takeaway to your point, Noonan, was that more importantly than nailing Derek Stingley over Sauce Gardner, he nailed Texas A&M's Kenyon Green over Zion Johnson. No one else had that, and he put those two together. So I opened Zierlein's mock. I read the first two picks and was like, okay, this is wrong. Uh, I see what he's doing. But more importantly, let me just look at the Texans and then close this out because I'm going to learn nothing else from it. And so the fact that he even said for the Texans, at least, as you mentioned, that they are looking at quarterback elsewhere if it's Stroud at number two, I completely believe that. I've been on that for the past month now. It's been my thought that they're so locked into one quarterback that maybe they don't want it. Uh, Connor, you mentioned trying to sell to the fan base. I don't think they've been trying to sell to the fan base anyways. I don't think they give a shit. Uh, they're just making money at the top of the front office. So I, I really... I think you're engineering it backwards and that you're asking, what do they do? It's like what people are doing with the Colts right now. They're asking, what are they going to do at quarterback if they don't pick at number four? I don't know, but you're asking the wrong question. Ask what they're going to do at number four, not working it from the other way around because I don't think they know what they're going to do just yet. And so I don't want, I actually as well think the Texans don't go quarterback at number two. If young is not there. Um, I think it could be Jackson Smith and Jigla as the first receiver, since I think they're locked on him in the mid first. I really think they could just take him at number two and say, we'll worry about trading up for a quarterback like Levis. If the time comes at 12 or if he falls to us, I think there are a number of ways they could go honestly. So that's where I'm at right now. And then for Levis, 
this is always my issue, not only with playing for fantasy, like Debbie leagues, getting into dynasty because Debbie leagues create biases, getting into weeds and this stuff two months into the draft creates biases. And right now you see people who have Will Levis tickets, like a number one overall, they're just hammering dumb bets, like number two, number three, number four, because they're they're in deep and they've created this bias and can't get out of their own thoughts. So that's why I also do not like getting in. I even mentioned in my mock with the Cardinals, with the Eagles, with the Saints, with the Packers, that, hey, I will back off this take, this player, for sure, if we get some news. But right now we don't have news, so I'm just assuming they're going to take this player instead. So yeah, the Will Levis thing, uh, right now it seems like number two is being driven more by the people who are in too deep and can't get out of their own way more than anything. So I, I want to push back on the Lance Zierlein stuff here. So Lance Zierlein's last mock was obviously very correct and in the Texan stuff. All of his other mocks had other guys leading up to his other one. They were completely wrong. And on Twitter yesterday, I was reading through his replies, he said... I have no inside information on this. I am just putting together tea leaves. And this is based off of a scenario that is now being pushed by the entire national media that they're going to pass on a quarterback or two and that maybe they don't like CJ Stroud. We've heard that in other places. I mean, but most of this has been from Zero Line. He literally said on Twitter yesterday, he's like, it was in a reply. So, you know, I had to dig for it, but, you know, getting my hands a little dirtier. He said, I do not have inside information on this, which for to me, like that means, okay, well, I believe that Lance Zierlein will have the answer, but I don't think that right now, like he's like, yeah, this is it guys. Like this is for sure it, you know, like I think he's just going off of what he's hearing, going off of like some rumors here and there, but it, it doesn't seem to be like something that he's locked into. So uh, yeah, I mean, like, could they not take a quarterback? Sure. Because I mean, again, it's, it, you know, it's whatever, not assumption of it's rational coaching. Yeah. Like they can do whatever, but I think saying because Zierlein said it is uh, like a fallacy at this point. Cause I just don't think he knows. And to that point, I guess I am leaning into it more because it confirmed my bias where I also, before I even read that mock, have been assuming they are not interested in quarterback at number two if Young is not there. So maybe I am leaning into it too heavily because it confirmed my priors. The interesting part, as Connor brought up, the ability to pass on a quarterback in this draft and think that things are going to fall so perfectly that you're going to be in position to draft at the top of the board Again, next year, they went three, two, and one in the division last year with the quarterback situation that they had. And then the rest of the division, again, like the Jaguars have kind of ascended. They're not flawless. And, you know, and I know we have questions about the Colts, definitely questions about the Titans. Like, you really can't mess around. It's not like they're going to be passing on a quarterback and comfortably the worst team in that division. So it just gets really delicate to, to sell to a tank job for 17 games to ensure that you're in position to draft. Caleb Williams or, you know, anyone else that you have your eye on there at the top of the board. So uh, just, just kind of a very, very, very delicate thing. The thing here that we're still waiting on that everyone talks about. And again, we've heard it from Daniel Jeremiah recently, the betting market will tell you very clearly that they expect it to happen too, based on, in my opinion, Will Anderson's over under number at three and a half and how it's juiced to the over. No one expects the Cardinals to stay at three and make the pick. Uh, Daigle here put Christian Gonzalez uh, to go to the Cardinals, which I think makes a ton of sense. Interested here, Daigle, to get your thoughts on if you assume that that is a we'll stay home and make this pick, or are you kind of just saying this is who I think they're going to land? I just don't know where they're going to land it based off of who trades up for three. And the first sentence I write in my mock on the site is I expect this pick to be traded. So right now I am just filling in the players, assuming that's where they fall. Having said that, I think – Trades and mocks are for betas, so I don't put trades in any of my mocks. I never have, never will. But right now, 
for the Cardinals, understanding that it's a defensive-minded head coach in Jonathan Gannon, understanding that Monty Ozenfort, as I mentioned even in the article, uh, comes from Patriots ties, which overvalue secondary pieces, even though, again, as I mentioned in the, in the piece on Bull4.com, that as the Patriots scout across their scouting department from 2006 to 2019, the Patriots only drafted with Ozenfort one cornerback, first round cornerback, and it was Devin McCourty. He happened to be a Hall of Famer. So they got at least got that right, but never dabbled too high. Um, but we've seen from Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia, the list goes on and on of Patriots cronies. They tend to take that and overvaluing secondary to the next step whenever they branch off from New England. So I do think we're getting a defensive player here for sure at number three if the Cardinals stay put. I don't know if this trade with the Cardinals happens before the draft on draft night. I don't know if they don't get enough value from what they want and just decide to stay put. But yeah, if they do stay put, it's 100% defense in my opinion. Very interesting, yeah. And then, you know, in this instance, you have them with uh, a cornerback and, you know, good price still out there on Christian Gonzalez to be, you know, first defensive player. You know, I think the betting market is still telling you that Will Anderson is the play. Um, and you have Will Anderson going next to the Colts, which I think is a very, very interesting spot here. Uh, would love to get your thoughts on the Colts taking Anderson and basically not addressing the quarterback in a spot where everyone feels like not only does Chris Ballard need to draft a quarterback, he needs to hit a home run at the quarterback position to solidify his job and to maintain things there. But, uh, you know, speak on the Will Anderson thing. And if they are in on CJ Stroud, I haven't seen anything. And if Young were to go one and Stroud were to suddenly fall to number four, then yeah, sure, maybe the Colts take a quarterback here. But, and this is not a hard stance. I will absolutely come off the stance if we get news. But I don't think we've received any news on the Colts being interested in a quarterback outside of Ursay drunkenly mentioning that, quote, that Alabama kid, unquote, at his post-combine pressers. Uh, other than that, I think everyone's just trying to make a logical choice when a logical choice is not the Colts' MO. Uh, more importantly, in understanding the, the pieces that they need on this defense with Yannick Ngakwe most likely not resigning there, so edge makes a ton of sense, understanding that quarterback and just trading Stephon Gilmore to the Cowboys, they need a, a number one corner since everyone else on their roster is absolute garbage, so a cornerback in either Gonzalez or Devin Witherspoon makes a lot of sense as well, and I kind of pieced together which one has a lean there in my article. But also, this is not a regime change. I think that's what's making everyone pick quarterback besides the fact that, yes, the Colts need a quarterback, even though they have Gardner Minshew ready to go. Uh, I still believe in if they draft a rookie, Minshew will start in week one. He understands the playbook. He's been a viable career backup, and I still think he's a slightly above league average replacement level. But this is not a regime change. Chris Ballard kept his job. This is just a head coaching change. I don't know if Ballard gets into that war room and says, like, I can afford to draft a rookie quarterback who's only going to start eight games or half a season. Like, that may actually make him lose his job. So I don't know if Ballard's interested in a quarterback, to be honest, at least with this high of capital. So I'm not there. I still lean edge and cornerback over a quarterback here at number four overall, but curious to get y'all's thoughts on it. Yeah, Scott, I'll kick it to you. What are your thoughts on, you know, you can talk about three as well with Christian Gonzalez or any thoughts that you have in terms of who's trading up to three, who the viable candidates are, uh, and then the Will Anderson four thing. I think a lot of what happens at, at three is going to play out with the, within the next couple of weeks. I, I think the Cardinals right now are, are kind of content with uh, sitting back. I've heard they've been in talks sort of about six teams as far as moving up to that three spot. But uh, until we get a little bit of clarity on this Bryce Young, C.J. Shroud situation, 
the the Cardinals are, are kind of in flux as far as like what the actual value for that pick is. That that value goes up much more if it's CJ Stroud that drops down to three. So I, I think you can you can kind of see the Cardinals holding up a little bit. But even as far as like going to the Colts, I think if Stroud were to drop, I, I think the Colts are a, a team to move up. Um, I don't think that Ballard's in in as solid a footing as what you know a lot of other people may think. I mean, he has failed at putting a quarterback on this team. Uh, you know, Philip Rivers didn't work out, and then we went to to Wentz. Luckily, they were able to find a dumber team in Washington to be able to take Wentz off their hands and actually get some sort of return for what they gave up. And then you know we had Matty, Matt Ryan, and now we're on to Gardner Minshew. Like th- this team has enough pieces to contend for that division and be in the playoffs. So just simply laying down and and rolling with Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles as like the other two quarterbacks on this team, I don't think makes a whole lot of sense for for a team that that can buy for the playoffs in that division. Um, I think when you start looking at it, I, I think he's going to have to make a make a move, whether that's Will Levis or, or somebody. I, I think the failure with the veteran quarterbacks are going to dictate that they have to go another route and get a, a younger quarterback. Yeah, Daigle brought up a good point about like, would a rookie quarterback save Ballard's job? And because I think that that's the most important like driving factor here is like they kept him on. Uh, obviously, he made you know some some he has some decision making you know ability here is still on this team. Like if they draft Will Levis. You know, is that going to save his job? I'm not sure that's the answer, but I think that if he shows enough flashes, maybe it can extend it for one more year. Whereas I think, I mean, if they draft Will Anderson and Gardner Minshew, like they're definitely, they're definitely not good enough to keep Chris Ballard's job. So like, I think that either way, he's probably fired. I mean, but like, I think that in his line of thinking, it's probably going to be Levis. And I think that because, I mean, there's just been, you know, some little rumors that, uh, you know, he's their one of their top guys on their board uh, that, that I was hearing. So, you know, I think that that's probably why I lean that way. And at three, um, Daniel Jeremiah mentioned on one of his previous podcasts here in the last couple of days said that he expects the Cardinals to trade the pick within the next like week or two, I guess like, like a week before the draft and just kind of have it be done with and like, just not pay attention to it that much. That being said, obviously the young Stroud stuff and the Texans not taking quarterback, like Scott mentioned would potentially change the value. But he said that like, they need to just get it done with and like, be more prepared for the draft because he said just makes it really difficult to prepare for the draft. If you're like thinking about trading and then like reassigning your board, all that stuff, he said, it's just like logistically much more challenging compared to uh, uh, like just trading it before. So he said, you know, he thinks he's going to get it done early, which I think would open up the draft a lot more, especially if we get some clarity at the top. Yeah. And I would put the over under on that trade happening. Look for it to happen within 24 to 48 hours after you see CJ Stroud visit with, with Carolina. I, I tend to think that Carolina has their pick already, that they're going through, you know, these these last little motions to have both of these guys there, you know, kind of compare the meetings. And even Will Levis is, is his meeting is on the same day as CJ Stroud. So I would expect that Cardinals pick to be moved within 24 to 48 hours after you see Carolina meet with the last two quarterbacks. Seahawks are interesting because they are in a position where they have a short-term answer at quarterback. You know, Geno Smith played terrific football for yeah, 80% of the year last year, signed a, I think, both a player and team-friendly contract in terms of a long-term answer there. They are in a spot where there's a lot of concern in that division with, you know, the 49ers have questions at quarterback. You know, the Rams roster is really devoid of, of talent. Um, it's a winnable division. The Cardinals are going to be playing the majority or at least half the year 
without Kyler Murray. And even so, it's uh, you know, definitely a team that's that's not contending. Seahawks have two picks. This is a luxury pick essentially because this belongs to the Broncos from the Russell Wilson trade. They can address the position, and there are you know smart people out there that will tell you, hey, you don't get a lot of shots in the top five to address the quarterback position long term, and you should probably take a shot, especially when you have another top 20 pick. Um, but you can also say, hey, we're really close. We can add two really impactful starters and make a move, considering that they hit an absolute home run in last year's draft, being able to add multiple long-term starters to the offensive line. They had some home runs in the secondary on the defensive side as well. Really, really good draft for the Seahawks. Here, Daigle has Anthony Richardson going there. Again, the ability to, you know, people would probably say out of the three, or out of the four quarterbacks, probably the one that's maybe least ready to start on day one. I mean, you know, and no pressure to do so here with Seattle, though it is a team that's been open to say, hey, quarterback competition, any position, we're going to let you compete. And if you're the best guy, you're going to be the guy to go. Uh, Dig, let you talk about the Anthony Richardson to five here. To that point, just remember in 2012, this team gave Matt Flynn a three-year, $19 million contract, which doesn't seem like much nowadays, but a decade ago was a ton of money and the most on the quarterback market at that time, then drafted a little kid who was 5'8", named Russell Wilson in the third round, and Pete Carroll, John Schneider, both came out the same in the front office today and said, uh, this is a quarterback competition, and no one believed that. They just gave Flynn $19 million. Why would it ever be a quarterback competition? And Wilson beat him out outright, and they started the third-round rookie. They structured Geno Smith's deal, and it's so obvious, to be a one-year bumper, a one-year bridge, understanding that he turns 33 in October. And as amazing of a story as he was last year, one of the best in the league, in my opinion, and being a dark horse MVP candidate that first half of the season, he was also Geno Smith's career over the next eight games. Seven interceptions, four fumbles, turnover machine, still ended up leading the league in completion rate, was but a totally different player and the team did deal with a lot of injuries in that time to his defense, but a totally different player, honestly, that second half of the season, even throwing under pressure. Uh, Geno Smith's not the long-term answer here, and the way they structured his contract and being able to save roughly $14 million next offseason by cutting or trading him suggests that they know that as well. You are going, you can anyways, you can get the bridge player from Geno Smith at number five. You cannot get the bridge player Geno Smith will eventually hand a torch to at number 20. So addressing that need here at number five, especially after the Seahawks are knowingly doing all the work for all the top four quarterbacks, I think it's very clear that they are very interested in the quarterback market, assuming one of the big three or four, depending how you view Will Levis, falls to them. And Anthony Richardson makes so much sense to this team, knowing that they can grab edge and address pass rush at number 20. Yeah, I think it's a terrific point. And it's, uh, I think, something that we've seen a little bit more and more. So people plugged in the Seahawks have been, you know, kind of on that. And that is a, a spot that makes a lot of sense. And again, you don't get up here a lot, Connor. Any thoughts on Anthony Richardson, uh, his landing spot in, in Seattle, taking quarterback? No, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, a guy who's been really plugged in with the Seahawks over the last few years, uh, Rob Statton mentioned specifically that he thought that Richardson would be a good fit. Uh, brought up a lot of the points that you guys did, but specifically like Richardson's fit in uh, Seattle over Will Levis or anyone else. Um, also has gone on the record saying that they will they like not take Jalen Carter 99.5%. And I do want to mention that that worries me a little bit because I don't, you know, I don't want to get Connor Hughes again. And I think that that's kind of an issue that last year, uh, you know, Connor Hughes, a Jets beat reporter who again was generally pretty good. Like we didn't have any issues with him. 
you know, had gone on the line multiple times, said they're not going to take Sauce Gardner. Obviously, they took Sauce Gardner, and the national reporters were like Daniel Jeremiah. Other people were saying that they were going to take him. So obviously, it's a big win for the national reporters and a massive L for Connor Hughes, who I think I have muted on Twitter at this point after uh, you know him costing me a, a couple of dollars. But at this point, I like I kind of worry that it's almost the same thing here because you know other national guys have been like, yeah, like you know they could sure they could take Carter. They've taken risks in the past you know, things of that sort. But Staten is like, oh, 99.5% they're not going to take him. So, I mean, I think in this instance, in Daigle's mock, certainly I think they would pick Richardson over Carter. But in other instances, that's something that I'm kind of wavering on a little bit more that I wasn't previously. Because again, I just, I don't want to get, you know, cucked by one local beat reporter when the rest of the national beat, national reporters had it right. Yeah. Uh, Scott, any thoughts on Richardson? Again, like, you know, the other positions that they could go, and, and Daigle has that. They've addressed the edge uh, with his pick at 20, and we'll get to that. But, um, you know, there are – that does feel like a glaring need. They did add, uh, you know, Draymond Jones in, you know, free agency from the Broncos, solidify, you know, a little bit of talent in the defensive front. But they've lost a couple of people in free agency as well. So it's not like Carter doesn't fit a need. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Richardson play? Yeah, I think Richardson's definitely here in play. I, I like having the the bridge of, of Geno Smith there. Um, and for, you know, what it's, what it's worth, Geno Smith's actually been said that they think he would be a, a great mentor to any of the rookie quarterbacks should they land there in Seattle. Um, I, I agree with, with Connor. I don't take Jalen Carter out of the mix here. And I, I think specifically when I'm looking at Seattle, Anthony Richardson, Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, and Jalen Carter – their pick, it's going to be one of those four guys. I don't see anybody else. They're, they're, they've said, I've heard some wrinkles that they they do kind of that, like like Christian Gonzalez a little bit with his size and speed. But with the success they had last year in, in the draft with cornerback, I, I don't see them as a major need. I definitely think defensive line and edge rusher is, is – I think they could take three of them and be fine within this draft. So I, I think they're going to be looking to address some things along that, that defensive line. But – you know, Anthony Richardson's that guy that if he doesn't go and, you know, a couple of these teams at the beginning, where does he start to fall? You know, is it is it Detroit? Is it, you know, I, I just I, I don't know if he falls past this top five or six range. Where is it? Where is it going to end? I compare the Seahawks to being the poor man's Eagles in that they don't ha- they aren't as luxurious not as top heavy as Philadelphia, but honestly, they don't have many holes to fill. Like they may be getting by with a pass rush, for instance, finished 14th in pressure rate created last year with a bunch of no names, but clearly they need an edge. Having said that, if their big board falls to them at five and 20 and they don't leave with an edge, that's okay too. Like they'll get by and find someone in the second and third round, especially with five picks in the first 83. So Yeah, I honestly think the Seahawks, like the Eagles, are just tough to pin down because they have three positions they could draft, don't necessarily have to, but could draft to get more stable. And so then, like the Ravens as well, we're really just trying to figure out their big board and not really like who they're going to take for need. We just need to know what their board looks like and who the highest players are on there. Yeah, I, I apropos of nothing, I just want to put it out there. If I'm a quarter, if I'm, I'm drafting a quarterback here in this draft, and I have the one, I'm taking Anthony Richardson. I feel like that kid is a uh, has home run potential. You know, Connor's laughing at me. I think he is a project for sure. Again, it has nothing to do with mock drafts, draft betting at all. Uh, the kid, I think, just has what we're seeing that is really successful uh, at the next level. And I don't think Stroud or Young have that ability to force teams to play eleven on eleven football and. Anthony Richardson's a project, but man, he is special when he breaks pocket. 
He's special when he tucks and runs. If he can figure out a little bit of anything, if we can get 80% Josh Allen out of there and he becomes a little bit of a semblance of anything in terms of a, a pocket passer, he's going to be probably a pretty special talent. So um, it looks like we have, stop me if I'm wrong, six and seven are flip-flopped here on the, on the screen. We should have Devin Witherspoon going six to Detroit, Tyree Wilson seven uh, to the, uh, the Raiders. Is that correct, Hagel? Prior to the Jeff Okuda trade, I had Tyree Wilson at six, gotcha. Devin Witherspoon at seven. The moment that trade happened, because as I mentioned in the article, uh, remember the Lions addressed secondary during the offseason. $29.5 million guaranteed alone sunk into three secondary players, including Emmanuel Mosley and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, both who were expecting to start. And so I just thought picking a cornerback here prior to the Okuda trade was incorrect by a lot of mocks. I, I didn't like it at all. But the moment Okuda was traded, okay, now we have a lot of room for a long-term player, thus assuming Witherspoon or Christian Gonzalez, whomever falls here, that's where I think the Lions now go at six. My pushback there is Mosley's a one-year deal. Uh, the Akuda thing, even if he stayed there, was coming up on his fifth-year option. They need to get an answer. You know, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's playing, you know, maybe a little bit of slot, but he's mostly a safety. Like, they have long-term answers that need to be addressed at uh, at corner. And the other thing with the Detroit thing, like, and I'll, I'll kick this to you, Connor, and get your thoughts. We've talked about it a lot. Like, yeah, could they add a, another edge rusher? Yeah, it makes sense. They added three last year. I continue to talk about this. They like all three. Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Pascal, um, and then I think Justin Houston a little bit later who had a great end of the season. I just don't see an edge rusher to the Lions. Um, what are your thoughts on the Lions-Raiders dynamic here in uh, six and seven? Yeah, at this point, I think it is the Lions are going to pick a corner. I mean, if Gonzalez, one of Gonzalez or Witherspoon's on the board, they're going to pick one of them. We've talked about it on this show multiple times. I think Witherspoon's the better fit. Uh, just given he plays a lot of man, you know, he's got that dog in him, as you mentioned, uh, you know, something like he, uh, you know, loves to practice hard. And I think that was actually kind of the beef with Okuda and, you know, Dan Campbell is like, they just didn't like his attitude. Didn't like how he practiced. Uh, I mean, they benched him for part of the season. Like it was just not a good, not a good fit there for Okuda who, I mean, frankly, just wasn't very good towards the back half of the season. So um, I think that they're going to, they're going to draft corner, but that's not, you know, novel. I mean, they're like minus 250 to draft a corner at this point. So I think that that's pretty much, uh, in pen, I would say, honestly, um, other than that, it's seven though. I don't know the Raiders. Like, I feel like they could, they could draft an edge. I feel like they could draft, uh, you know, an offensive lineman. You know, I've, I've been hearing some rumblings about Paris Johnson jr. Potentially being linked to them as like a potential target. I don't know. I just, I like, go back and forth to this team. They're a team that I'm a little bit lost on. I don't know, Scott, if you have any thoughts on, on the Raiders there at seven, because I feel like they could just go like them and the Falcons, honestly. Well, I guess not the, Fal we'll get the Falcons a bit that they could go a variety of ways. Yeah, so in my last mock draft, in my last mock draft, I had Tyree Wilson there, um, which is kind of the same play here. I, I think the Raiders are in a position where they could just take the best player available. Their defense has been the problem over the last few years more than it was Derek Carr. So I, I think any number of players from Christian Gonzalez, Tyree Wilson, Devin Witherspoon, I, I tend to think they go defense, but I have heard rumblings as far as like offensive line. It's just, you know, is, is this the spot for Paris Johnson or, or one of these guys to go? I, I tend to edge a little bit more towards defense. And I'll explain Noonan quickly that for Chandler Jones in a match for Tyree, Tyree Wilson or Will Anderson, uh, 
Chandler Jones' dead cap hit. You can't get rid of it this year, $25.6 million, but he does have a void, a two-year void in his contract for next year, dropping that cap hit to $7.2 million. So very easily you can shed him, so they do have, in my opinion, long-term uh, needs here at edge. Yeah, and outside of Nate Hobbs, they don't have anyone at corner. They can definitely have some needs, uh, the offensive line. So I do think it is one of those three positions, though it doesn't really help. Uh, again, this is kind of why this top 10 is still pretty dicey. We had been on the same kind of note in terms of what we expect the Falcons to do or what they could do because they have, I think, a plethora of needs. Uh, Daigle comes in, in line, uh, towing the company line uh, very proudly here. Bijan Robinson, eight to the Falcons, that I think is in line with all three of us uh, in terms of our recent mocks, uh, or at least our thoughts there, and at least where we have some money sprinkled down for sure and feel really good about it. Uh, Daigle, talk to me about why you have some conviction here on Bijan going eight to the Falcons. Their rookie quarterback, who they seem very adamant on starting this year, is not expected to make more than $1.7 million under his, the next three years of his rookie deal for the next three seasons at any point in any year. Uh, and so then you ask, what do you do? Like, how do you hide this player who they may have confidence in, but we know we don't have confidence in. You continue to build around your league best, in my opinion, rushing attack. Only the Cowboys averaged more running back carries per game than the Falcons last year, and they did that with Scrubs and Caleb Huntley and other players they grabbed from behind Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson. So now you can get the best running back prospect that since Saquon Barkley and Adam to this attack after fortifying your offensive line, like Caleb McGarry in terms of run blocking, ESPN's run block win rate only ranked Trent Williams higher. Like this offensive line, especially the left side, is ready to go and ready to grind. And now you add Bijan to the mix, it just makes too much sense and it's the perfect fit. So I, I would say I won't back off this for the next three weeks. I'm, I'm almost 100% sure this is the pick. I love that. Love that conviction. Uh, Connor, I didn't want to speak for you. I forget what your mock, your latest mock. Did you have Bijan? I know you have some money down there uh, that would make you very happy with this pick, but what are your thoughts on Daigle's really strong conviction there? Yeah, so we we put it in the extra NFL bets channel in our subscriber Discord. So uh, that we put it at thirty four to one on the Falcons draft a running back first, which is now down to like ten to one. So if you guys aren't in the Discord, definitely would recommend hopping in there because even though we couldn't play it officially, because obviously it's like a, you know an off market book, you know we still. Yeah, I mean, it was gone pretty quick, but still, like, you know, there's a bunch of subs are still on it. So as long as a couple of people can make some money on it, you were trying to drop that stuff in there. I did not have him at eight in my last mock, but I think I will. I guess my only, I don't know, slight hesitation would be like, it's like, I like with some of these picks that I have like exact team player pairings to have some kind of information behind. And right now I don't really have any of that. I mean, maybe you guys do, but like for me, it makes perfect sense. Everything you guys said, it's just like, I would love to have some kind of confirmation of like, oh, the Falcons really like this guy or the Falcons are open to addressing the position, you know, something like that. Uh, I, this is not something I really heard yet, but uh, I do agree though. Like, I do think that this would be a perfect fit. I was looking for the quotes because there was a quote uh, either came out of Indy during the combine or something that with Arthur Smith talking about wanting to, yeah, we love what we got out of Tyler Algier last year, fifth round pick. Fantastic. You just don't necessarily are married to a fifth round pick. Uh, for long term, and again, I know it's a position that's been devalued in terms of spending assets to solidify the, the spot. But they talked about like we would love to have you know someone else support him in the role. And to Dale's point, they did that last year, you know, with some kind of jabronis, um, and they still were massively efficient. So you start to add a guy who 
is really dynamic in the passing game, especially comparatively to what we saw from Tyler Algier last year. And I think that's the appeal of Bijan and, and why you'll still see him as maybe one of the last uh, last of the Mohicans in terms of running backs inside the, the first rounds. We just don't see it very much anymore. But he is so dynamic in terms of how you can use him in the passing game that is able to support a young, probably fairly limited quarterback to Daigle's point. So, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm with Daigle and the confidence on Bijan at eight. So uh, we talked about the Jalen Carter thing last week. His agents come out and said, hey, if you're not in the top 10, we are not going to visit you. It's not arrogant. Uh, we know that teams can trade up into the top 10. We just have promises from teams inside the top 10 that if our guy there is there, he is going to be selected. Uh, makes a lot of sense for the Bears who have massive holes along the defensive line, who have done nothing in free agency to address the position, really need to address it here through the draft. And Jalen Carter feels like a really good spot for the Bears. We got down on that last week. Jalen Carter was, we talked about in the show live, 6-1 to one to be drafted by the Bears at number 9. There's talks about the Bears trading down again or all sorts of different stuff. I think if Johnson doesn't go nine, Daigle, I think you know the another team you talked about, the Eagles, are in a luxury position where they can address it as well. They need a long-term answer to Fletcher Cox. Javon Hargrave took his talents to the West Coast and is in San Francisco. They have a need too. So I do think that Carter doesn't make it past nine or ten. Um, yeah, talk to me about those two picks. Oh, the Eagles are in, as we mentioned earlier, just take the best player available. And I would imagine Jalen Carter having to still address interior defensive line and find a long-term presence for Brandon Graham since they did lose other defensive ends this offseason, a lot of them actually, then yeah, uh, Jalen Carter is not, not a chance to make it past 10. And Bears fans, I would say, even agree that they don't have a pushback on Jalen Carter the only thing they ever say is, like, will he fall to nine? Because that's a dream, and I think that's really the question we're asking. Does Jalen Carter get to nine? Because if so, I think it's just the easiest click ever to assume that the Bears would take him over any offensive lineman. I don't know how Getze and Poles view the way to build their offensive line, but, like, my own hand-in-the-dirt football analysis would be that you have to do it differently than other building other offensive lines around the league because you have Justin Fields who was not only second and being under pressure last year, but historically that's who Justin Fields was even in Ohio state, because like Deshaun Watson, his greatest strength in extending plays is also his weakness in that he extends plays and puts himself under pressure far too long. This is why Joe Burrow is consistently top five and being under pressure in the entire league because he holds on to the ball for far too long to let plays develop. And so if you're going to do that, even a small signing like Nate, Nate Davis, who's going to start at right guard for the Bears, to build your line like that makes much more sense because Nate Davis is an elite athlete, a smaller player who can get upfield and block in the second level. Like if there were five Panay Souls in every draft, then sure, draft offensive lineman, no big deal. But Panay Souls is mentioned because he's Panay Soul. He is Jonathan Ogden, who is also a monster athlete. Uh, those only come around every five years. Like that's a Hall of Fame left tackle the moment he declared for the NFL draft. And so I think the Bears, and this is just my opinion, I have no one's telling me anything, but I think the Bears should be looking at building offensive line differently and waiting and Instead, valuing later super athletes, even if they're smaller, in the later rounds. Thus, with this pick, Jalen Carter makes too much sense to at least plug up their run defense since the moment they traded Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn from Week 9 on last year, it wasn't just they were the worst rush defense in the league. They were the rush de worst 
rush defense in the league from miles apart. Uh, also led the entire league in EPA per play allowed from that point forward over the second half of the season. So, yes, just a very clear need that makes sense if Carter drops to nine. Yeah, it'd be a massive mistake, in my opinion, Connor, for the Bears to let him go. Yeah, I mean, so right now the odds are like three to one on Bears uh, to draft Jalen Carter. I mean, you're basically saying like, I mean, is there a three to one chance that he makes it there? And I think that actually it's still fine. Like, I think that like that's kind of how I feel at this point that I don't think they pick an offensive lineman. But if they do want to, I think it's worth noting. So there was like a Bears series that was just aired. It was like a like a 10 minute documentary and they flashed some things like, like what they focus on for each position on the board that, uh, that we screenshotted. So for offensive linemen, their three factors was pass pro, pass pro ability, length, and then foot quickness. And so we had uh, talked about this on the show before. Skaronsky, not a guy with length. You know, they already kind of address guard. Apparently, they're going to play Tevin Jenkins at guard again this year. That's what uh, some of the local Bears beats were saying. And they already signed Nate Davis. So I think, like, Skaronsky is probably, like, off their board. Um, I mean, we've already talked about this before. But, like, I don't even think – I mean, unless they traded down to, like, 15, 16 – and maybe he was there. Like, I think that's a possibility. But in my opinion, at this point, the Bears are probably looking at, you know, Tyree Wilson, Carter, because Tyree's not going to make it to nine, but Tyree Wilson, Carter at nine, or a trade down and hope for a guy like Darnell Wright, who we've heard that they're really high on, uh, or maybe, you know, one of the other offensive linemen falls. That's kind of where I'm at on the Bears at nine. Scott, you're talking about the Darnell Wright thing in terms of he's kind of been a prospect that looks like he's moving up and his Bears kind of feel like a spot that, you know, if they were to address the position, maybe it's a coin toss between Paris Johnson and Darnell Wright based on their board and some of the stuff that we're hearing. Yeah, when I when I was looking at a lot of the, the Bears information, you know, we talked about where where's Jalen Carter's floor and, and basically this is that at nine and ten you know i think those two teams chicago and philadelphia make sense as uh, teams that could have given jalen carter a guarantee that he will be picked in the top 10 but as we start seeing darnell writes a name that is moving up i, I tend to I, you know i talked about paris johnson being you know a, a fit there because he's got the the relationship with fields he also blew away his pro day but darnell writes the name and even mel kuyper i think in his recent mocked Darnell Wright to Chicago and it seemed like it was a little bit too high for a guy that projects as a as a, a right tackle only you know you just plug and play right tackle but a lot of people are looking back at his film and what he did against Will Anderson and some of the other pass rushes in the SEC and he dominated at that right tackle spot so I, I think people are instead of some of these other guys like Paris Johnson who some teams do project as a guard as well and Broderick Jones who's also super raw uh, and then you know, we just talked about Skaronsky possibly being off of their board, which he's he's a name that has been mocked to Chicago a lot that I haven't been able to link. But when you start looking at offensive line instead of Jalen Carter, Paris Johnson and Darnell Wright have both had visits with Chicago. So and, I, I think oh, sorry. I think those are going to be the other two the other two players that if you start looking at it and Jalen Carter doesn't make it to nine, I, I think it's going to be one of those two guys. And he began getting steam because of his pro day. Like they saw him piece together a 97th percentile speed score at 6'5, 333. And so I agree with Scott. I don't have him in this mock. Like I pushed on our right to number 13 overall to the Jets. And I thought that was high. But genuinely, if you can find markets out there for the first tackle taken, Darnell Wright's an amazing pick because I do think he, there's a great chance he is the first offensive lineman off the board. Yeah, love that. Uh, let me see where we're at with that as we. Uh... So we still have that. We still have that market. Um, Since we uh, have a group of, obviously, Paris Johnson, Darnell Wright, Peter Skaronsky, who 
is still pretty small to play tackle. I do wonder if he's going to be moved to guard immediately when drafted. And Broderick Jones, those are the guys we're all trying to sift through. Kind of the like the Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas class a couple years ago, where they're yeah. all they're all great selections. They're all the big four tackles in this draft. But yeah, we still have to decipher the thresholds that all the teams prefer with them. And Darnell Wright's elite athleticism is starting to pop following his pro day. Connor, you got that Darnell Wright number first? Uh, yeah, twelve to one. Uh, in, in multiple oh yeah, tops. Uh, and then nine to one, I think, is the worst number out there. So yeah, definitely, I think worth a little little sprinkle there. And I've, I I was thinking about this too with Paris Johnson versus Skaronski. Like the more that I think about it, like the, that's a matchup right now. So you can get Paris Johnson minus one forty five to be drafted before Skaronski. You can get Paris Johnson's over under is ten and a half. Uh, I mean, I like Paris Johnson both those. I think he's an out at ten with the Eagles you know, an out potentially a nine with the bears. If, if Carter doesn't fall there, uh, I mean, seven, again, you know, we talked about that before. I think that he's been linked to the Raiders. So, I mean, I would probably rather play the matchup at minus 140 against Skaronsky, but it seems like there are like three, I mean, even the Falcons, you know, if for some reason they don't want to go with Bijan, uh, you know, like are all different options potentially for him to go. Whereas Skaronsky, like, I mean, outside of a couple early mocks, like I haven't really seen much buzz to him, like to any of those teams or like, you know, even, you know, 11, I think is in play with Tennessee to take an offensive lineman. So like, there just seems like so many more outs for a guy like Paris Johnson than Skronsky. So we don't have enough outs to officially play that. You know, again, like I can't, we can't release a solo DK matchup where, you know, half, half people are getting down like $10, but you know, if you live near a draft Kings, you're able to get it down. I think it's a worthwhile play. And with Skaronsky being 6'4", 313, compared to these other three massive guys I discussed, all you have to do is look at team needs. Like, the Eagles don't need a center. They need Lane Johnson's long-term replacement, since Johnson is basically just on a one-year deal with Philadelphia, and it's never agreed if he's going to return the following season. I believe that he returned only this year because they fell short, and that had to hurt to get right there and then miss out on the Super Bowl. So no guarantee he's back next year. They already need to replace left tackle moving forward. And any of the other three guys outside of Skaronsky, assuming like they also notice his size and moving him on the interior, like they just stand out so much more. Uh, the Titans did release Ben Jones, but I think Skaronsky, everyone's still viewing him as a guard, and thus you look more to left tackle in replacing that position for the Titans than you would with Skaronsky moving on the inside. So again, we don't include the Titans in this mix. And then, yes, Connor McGovern for the Jets, I don't think is a long-term answer, nor do I think they believe that. But again, that's center. We're not talking about the Jets' guard because they're pretty solid at guard. They still need tackle position because everyone, including Makai Becton, that they're rotating in on the edges right now are not, in my opinion, long-term answers. So they are also looking at tackle. So just looking at that alone, then even dropping to like the Packers, I squeeze Skaronsky in there. But really, uh, if they are looking for Bakhtiari's replacement long-term, maybe Skaronsky doesn't fit there either. So really, I would argue there's just no fit on the interior for him in the top 15. In the uh, sake of not doing a two-hour show, or you guys can tell me that we could do a two-hour show because this is what we tend to do because uh, we are, and I hope that you as the listener or viewer uh, gets a feel for it. We are very passionate about this stuff, both in terms of how this actually plays out in real football and also making sure that we're set up to deliver in terms of uh, draft bets. We are 54 minutes in and we've made it through 10 picks. Um, so we're going to go a little bit off the board and, and mix it up here to get us to somewhat close to the hour mark, which is, I think, our you know soft, unintended goal. Uh, we'll bounce around, uh, kick some questions to you guys. You guys let me know if there's anything that jumped out on Daigle's mock that you want to talk about, anything that you want to talk about in terms of things that we're hearing in the first round. I'll get it started, Daigle, with the Patriots, uh, with Zay Flowers at 14. Patriots have a 
long history of uh, not nailing first round wide receivers. Uh, Zay Flowers, a local kid that they've probably been able to see a lot, though let's not pretend that these teams don't fly all over the place and that just because you can drive down to Chestnut Hill to watch Zay Flowers, that you would see him more than you would see Quentin Johnston. Uh, doesn't make a ton of sense, but we did hear from uh, Brett Coleman, who is uh, you know, tied in and plugged into the NFL, saying that Zay Flowers to the Patriots is the worst kept secret out there right now. First time I had heard of it, so and I feel pretty plugged in. Uh, what are your thoughts on Zay Flowers? Are you hearing anything else there? And again, obviously it's a need uh, at the position. And for those listening to this now, if you go to the most accurate podcast feed in your uh, playlist, I asked Field Yates about this question on the latest Fantasy Pod as I spoke with him about draft rumors. So it's available. He talks about Zay Flowers as well. But in my opinion... The Patriots have only done two things historically, and that is get their guy if he's there when they, it falls to them or trade back. That's their only the only two things Belichick knows how to do in this draft. And, and bringing Zay Flowers in, and not only bringing him in, because most time players are brought in for drills, all reports suggest that it wasn't just drills. Like Bill O'Brien actually sat down with a playbook for Zay Flowers and like had him go through it and was teaching it to him. I do think this is the one player they locked in on. And honestly, I, I think there are only three wide receivers guaranteed to be picked in the first round. And it is Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison, and Zay Flowers. I have Quentin Johnson here, but even that, I'm not hard believing. I just think the Giants could go one direct, two directions in receiver or tackle. And so when I look, I do think Zay Flowers will be overvalued by the Patriots, not even talking about player analysis, just understanding that they probably get them later on. But I think this is their guy with all reports suggested, and this is where they go, despite the fact that others have Addison ranked higher as a prospect. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Brett Coleman went as far to say as like, he's the, it's the worst kept secret in the league that the Patriots are like, want Zay Flowers. Like apparently everyone that. are you not that. even listening to me yeah. damn it connor <laughs> yeah i mean that's just crazy that's wild yeah i guess sometimes i i, I space you out here and there you know that's fair. sometimes you go to wrigleyville with silva until midnight yeah yeah I'm, I'm still a little rough not gonna lie it was a rough morning uh scott what jumps out to you in terms of anything here in this uh you know say 12 to 20 range on uh on daigle's board i know you've been plugged into some stuff around you know washington around joey porter but is there anything else i'll let you you know have the ability to jump wherever you like yeah, I'm going to go to 12, and we talked about it last week. The player that I would move up the mo like most in my, my draft board is Jackson Smith and Jigba. And the more I have listened to the guys that are tuned in, Michael Lombardi, you, you go listen to to Steve Smith. On, you know, those guys at Underdog had Steve Smith on breaking down the wide receivers and, and whatnot. And uh, look, we talked about Bijan there at eight to Atlanta, but Jackson Smith and Jigba is another player that they have been digging in on here recently. And, you know, we talk about Heineke and Desmond Ritter and, and surrounding them with weapons. If they can go ahead and put together a, a run, you know, the running offense that they have with the guys that they have, you know, it might make sense to go ahead and add a Jackson Smith and Jigba to Kyle Pitts and, and Drake London. So he's a guy that they've been, been, kind of sniffing around on and they've had meetings with him um and i i think eight would be kind of be his ceiling there you know i, I do like to the fit there at, at 12 as well but i think he's a guy we really need to start keeping track on over these next week or two if if they draft jackson smith and jigba oh my god i mean it would be the biggest misuse of receiving weapons of all time i mean they'll have like a legitimate you know pass catching group with london and Pitts and and, and jigba and pass the ball 20 times a game so i mean they just 
that would blow my mind, Scott. I know that it's very possible that maybe there's just a massive disconnect between like GM and like coaching, but still, it's just, I think that'd be wild. Yeah, that was a mess last year. One of the favorite bets on the board for us for uh, a handful of weeks there was just hammering whatever under we could get on Marcus Mariota's uh, passing attempts. Then there was a week that the books didn't even post it because, you know, he's basically, they were just lowering it 25, 22, 20, and he's just throwing, you know, dropping back 17 times a game, which is just absolutely wild. We don't see very much anymore. Um, yeah, Connor, I'll kick it to you. Anything that's jumping out here to you in like the high teens or, or 20 area on uh, Diggle's mock? Um, honestly, I think the one that I kind of was keyed in on here was the Chargers at 21 with Jordan Addison I thought was interesting. Diggle, I'm curious about that one because initially I had some char the Chargers taking a wide receiver in a mock, um, but then they've kind of retained, you know, like Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. I kind of think that their one missing piece at this point is speed. And it's not like Addison was slow necessarily, but, uh, you know, he's not necessarily like, a, I don't know, like someone's like stretching the field specifically and opening up the intermediate areas. So I don't know. I thought that that was interesting. I think it's still a need, but I, I don't know. I'm curious how like dug in you are on, on the Chargers kind of wide receiver thoughts there. If you've, or if you've heard anything that I've missed. Dug in on wide receiver, I'm just connecting the dots to the local kid more than anything. Also, remember, Addison led the FBS in receiving at 18 years old. Uh, last year's usage under Lincoln Riley was arguably criminal. And, and that's not even surprising. As intelligent of a play caller as Lincoln Riley is, he also criminally underused Marvin Mims, who is now getting steamed up as a second, potentially first-round player as well, whenever Mims had his last year at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. So I'm actually not shocked that Addison – like underperformed under Riley at all. But I think the Chargers see beyond that and in understanding that they're changing their offense entirely. Like they still have Justin Herbert under a rookie deal for at least another year. They brought in Kellen Moore, a young offensive minded and quite frankly, genius play caller, uh, creative as well to add to this mix. Keenan Allen also has already requested a trade. So I don't think he gets out of there this year, but Next year, absolutely. They'll find a way to, to, to move on. And Addison has experience both from that boundary and the slot. So it just makes all the perfect sense that Addison would fit there because although his speed, like four, over 4-5, four, 40 time, and doesn't show his, his like the way he can separate, when you watch the film, like he does get over the top of defenses. So I think that's what they're more inclined to look at rather than just his outright, you know, three-cone split and 40 speed. Yeah, what's interesting to me here is that you do have them passing on tight ends, both uh, Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer, which I think is a need too. I do think that there is something to the Jordan Addison thing, and I apologize. I forget where I hear it, so I would love to give credit to the source. But Jordan Addison originally declared uh, at Pitt and played there. The receiver coach from Pitt went to USC. Jordan Addison followed him to USC. That same wide receiver coach is now part of the Chargers coaching uh, organization. So there are some ties there around that connection. Um, and it's believed that that's part of the appeal of him going to USC. Um, forget where I heard it, forget the name of the coach, but I do think that there's a spot where Jordan Addison could make some sense. Um, next for me, and I'm look, to Dingle's point, we really can't make, it's really difficult to, to put trades in the mock. We really can't do it. Cause again, like you're guessing two things. You're assuming that there's a trade and you're assuming then who actually trades into that position. I don't believe that the Ravens or the Vikings make picks at 22 or 23. Um, they both have, I think, smart analytical front offices and they both have very, very few draft picks in this draft. Um, 
Now, again, I could be wrong. I think that, you know, adding the, the positions here that Daigle put there make a ton of sense. Baltimore is a team that always seems to have a guy fall to them that shouldn't be there. Uh, in this instance, I think Lucas Van Ness fits that model, who is, you know, typically going anywhere in, say, like the 9, 10, uh, low teens range in terms of a lot of mock drafts. You know, we have some friends that are not really bullish on him as a prospect. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's a, a spot where, yeah, here we are. The, the Ravens stumble into another great spot. I think that the Vikings taking a quarterback and the Hendon Hooker thing at 23 is just incorrect. Um, I know that they have an issue there long-term that they need to address the position. They just, again, another young, smart, you know, uh, front office and you know, general manager there just doesn't seem like they would go ahead again in a spot where they're going to be probably close, if not the favorites to win that division, or at least competitive for a playoff spot to address that position with a 25 year old who played in Josh Heupel's offense, which is really hard to extrapolate into the NFL coming off of an ACL injury. Doesn't seem like a spot that they would do so. And again, only having five picks in the draft. I feel like those are both great spots for teams to trade up to. So um, again, I don't know who comes in there and makes that play, uh, but I just don't think that either the Ravens or the Vikings make those picks. If the Vikings do not trade out, I am set in stone that it's either cornerback or wide receiver. Uh, who, who that is among those positions, I don't know, but those are the only two positions I will seriously consider for the Vikings. And then Ravens just hard because, as you mentioned, I think they get the best value. Whoever drops, and someone's dropping here. I have an edge to Seattle at 20, for instance. It doesn't have to be Nolan Smith. I have them because they tend to value explosive players. Cornerbacks, they want length. And edge rushers, they just look for explosiveness. And that's what they usually get in later rounds when looking for edge players. But maybe it's someone else outside of Nolan Smith. Miles Murphy is also explosive. So I don't know. But yes, I assume that the Ravens will take the best player available. In this case, mock drafts are pinning Lucas Van Ness in like the top 13 picks with certainty when I think it's really hard to get him there. Uh, for this one, I really just tried to fit the players who I – think will be drafted on night one. Like Cam Smith for the Saints at 29, I would say I'm the least confident about. But I do think he's drafted on night one. And so how do I squeeze him in there since the Saints, in my opinion, have three or four different ways they can go for role players? Jack Campbell and Trenton Simpson also make sense to the Saints there. So uh, I just squeeze them in thinking these are the 31 players drafted on night one. And I do feel confident in that notion. But how I work them out and who I would take out, probably Quentin Johnson would be the first one uh, two weeks from now in my updated mock. Uh, that's where I stand right now. So on, I, I, we need to consider this. Four and a half quarterbacks right now, over under. So this opened like massively juiced towards uh, the under, like minus 300. We're looking at minus 145 on Caesars, minus 155 on DK. Able to find minus 170s, minus 180s out there. I'm pretty close to be wanting to pull the trigger on this under four and a half quarterbacks. I don't know if it's a sweat that I want because I think that a team could take Hendon Hooker, but man, it's like, it's just been like two guys saying that they love Hendon Hooker. It's been like Mike Tannenbaum and like one other dude saying like, oh, like teams have Hendon Hooker as QB three. I mean, maybe that's true, but like, I mean, there's other people on Schefter's podcast they were talking about today. They said, oh, like I can't talk to any team who, who really like thinks Hendon Hooker is going to go in the first round. And that's more in line with what I would think based on, you know, my preliminary analysis of the situation and looking at the back half of these teams here, you know, like we went through it last week, but basically, I mean, what the Vikings are the only team in the twenties who would even consider it. I think like, so you'd basically need a trade up. I don't know. I mean, 
I'm close, guys. Any any thoughts here? Like, I, I mean, should we fire on this? I mean, Daigle, I know that you haven't fired on anything yet, but like any any thoughts on this over four, over under four and a half quarterbacks? Basically, just will Hooker be a first round pick? Minus 145 on under four and a half quarterbacks. I fired at Stroud 225. Uh that that was finally the number I wanted. Uh okay. just 48 just 48 hours ago. Beyond that, though. Yes, I would say all the hooker stuff are lies. I, I don't think there's any way you can squeeze them in this top 31. Um, so I completely agree. And the other thing I'm most confident about is, and maybe I shouldn't even be overconfident about it, but I do think Dalton Kincaid is the number one tight end to go. I, I think he's being valued significantly more than Michael Mayer, regardless of my analysis on who is the better player between the two. I like it. Uh, I'm with you, Connor, on the under four and a half. My only concern is, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here too, I love your opinion, Scott, is I think we only see one-way line movement based off of where that line is right now. I think that probably only goes closer to more Hendon Hooker positive news. Um, and I guess we don't get anything actionable out of that. I'm still in the position where I think it's a no-go. But I don't think that that's going to go back into like the minus 200, I guess is what I'm saying. I think that probably only stays at the 140 area or gets a little bit shorter. What are your thoughts on the, the hand and hooker stuff? So when I track players, I, one of the things that I do is I have my own model that tracks all the consensus boards of the big media members as well as some, some smaller fringe guys that are uh, been just getting started over the last four or five years. But Hendon Hooker's spot, his ranking on that big board is 62. When I start mixing in the model with a lot of the other mock drafts that are in there, he's still sitting at, at, at 47.6 as far as like, you know, where he's going to where I expect him to be drafted. That's the range. I definitely think. Look, I beat it up last week. I just I don't see how any of these teams from, you know, 21 on down, you know, make a move. Is the team going to move up for Hendon Hooker from the second round to to end that range? And look, I, I've heard some of these analysts talking about him being a top 15 talent. I just don't see it from a 25 year old player that played in an offense that is not contingent upon NFL success. Who's coming off of ACL injury like who what GM is going to make that? their first round selection. So I, I just don't see it. Yeah. There's just so many other difference makers on the board too, that like, I mean, at the end of the first round, like you're trading, you're forgoing like a, a starting corner or a, an, an edge guy who can come in immediately and make an impact or a, a tight end in Michael Mayer, or Dalton Kincaid, who can be like a legitimate future, you know, starting tight end. Like it, it's just really hard to see that. And then you match that with like, yeah, of course, like a team like Washington obviously has needs to potentially be there. Like, Tampa has needs a quarterback, you know, but like, is it really Hendon Hooker? Is that their guy that they're going to pick at 19? I mean, they've, again, those teams have so many other needs and like at 16 to 19, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for him to go there. Not only that, but in my article, I include who just missed the cut in my first round, at least this first mock. Again, I'll have only one more Johnny two mocks here uh, the night before the draft for scoring purposes, but we are talking about Emmanuel Forbes, who is getting some first-round love, even though he is 130 pounds when wet. So I, I, don't know how, I don't know how serious any GM is taking him. John Michael Smith could certainly squeeze into the, to the first round here, especially since him and Osiris Torrance are really the only two interior players you're taking seriously on the offensive line. Within the, within Joe the Tittman. Joe Tittman is getting uh, DJs. He's getting Daniel Jeremiah love, which I think is something we have to give credence to. Okay. 
Uh, Darnell Washington, the most athletic tight end out of this entire class, could certainly find its way there. We haven't talked about Will McDonald as an edge who could sneak into the end of the first round. Mazzy Smith, if you're looking for an interior player, and I think the Bills are very much looking into him if they choose to skip on linebacker between Drew Sanders, Jack Campbell, and Trenton Simpson. And then Brian Brisey, uh, not to mention some others like, you know, Caleb Ringo. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, sure, there, there are a ton of players here. And they all, I would think, take priority over Hendon Hooker. I want you I to know. take the Northwestern kid's name for a ride. We all, we've all tried it. I want you to take it out for a spin. No, 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 no. I don't want to. I, I didn't look up the pronunciation <laughs> before I got on the show, so I try to avoid those names. <laughs> um, what, what we all really need as a team is DK or a sports book to release Hendon Hooker 31 and a half over under. That's what we need. FanDuel, please. I, jump I into Give us 31 and a half. Just one time, God. What's that, let, me, let me give it for the third week in a row. Adatomiwa Adabawari. Oh, that you. was good. Either way, you said it quickly, and that the confidence of coming quickly is all that matters. As long as there's no dramatic pause in uh, any syllables there. Um, I mentioned last week if I were to change anything from my previous mock, um, now would be finding a home earlier for Miles Murphy. Uh, Daigle hasn't been in a similar spot where I did. I think Miles Murphy is an ascending uh, talent, like uh, just again, tested through the roof was, you know, perceived to be a top 10 prospect early in the process. Uh, and then, you know, slipped down a little bit. And, and I think, you know, the tape wasn't great for a few of those defensive linemen for, uh, for Clemson. And then uh, Anton Harrison's a guy that I want another, give me a Anton Harrison. Yes. No. First round. Um, absolutely smashing. Yes. Again, the kid do play three years at left tackle uh, and a pass friendly offense in Oklahoma, I think is a plug and play, uh, you know, guy who maybe needs to work a little bit more on the dog in him in terms of being able to be a run blocker. But if you could just put him into the, an offense like, you know, the Bengals have a need out along the offensive line or, you know, put him in a chief somewhere we're going to have, you know, pretty heavy pass rate over expectation type of offense. I think Anton Harrison comes in and uh, solidifies uh, one of those tackle positions on day one. So like how both of those guys are included in Daigle's mock as well. Also, Osiris Torrance, first round. Um, you know, we talked about all these tackles, and they are amazing, but to be arguably the most elite run-blocking player of this draft, I think that has to take precedence, especially when you're 6'5", 330, jacked up with speed, with SEC experience, has to be a first-round player. So whether it's the Bucks, who I have him here, or the Giants, I certainly think he's in the first round. The one that's interesting to me too, and I'll uh, kick it to you, Connor, and uh, anything else that you have before we go, the Brian Branch stuff. Like Brian Branch, a great prospect. People thought it was going to be good. Did not test well. Kind of small, not really fast. Again, pretty good tape. Played at Alabama. You know, obviously that pedigree is nice. Uh, Scott had him at 16 to the Commanders. Uh, Daigle has him here at 24 to the Jags. I didn't have him in mind, but I was. he was probably one of those really tough to leave off. Uh, thoughts on Branch? Do we have any information? Because I heard this talked about again. We don't really know what he's being considered in terms of his position because that impacts safety in the first round market. That impacts corners in the first round market. Um, any thoughts on Branch or, or any information on that? Yeah, I got to say, I will not be taking the safety over under, uh, you know, ride again this year after last season where Lewis Seen and uh, the other safety were the last two selections. Yeah, Daxil and I had to sweat what they were being called on stage. Um, I do think that sports books usually outline the rules. Like it's they usually go off of NFL.com listings. So I don't know what he's listed at NFL.com, whether it'll be or safety. 
Um, but yeah, I will, I will not be taking that ride again because that was horrible. Um, but I, I do think Noonan. Yeah, so yeah, we're not way, doing it again. <laughs> the way the league is going, though, I think Brian Branch kind of has to be a first-round player, honestly, because now every team continues to take on this uh, Ajero Avero three-safety approach and mold their defenses that way because yards per carry are going up as more teams play three safeties in order to prevent big plays as Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes only continue to get better and end secondary. So I think three safeties continues to be a priority for, for defenses moving forward since it's a copycat league. Yeah, I don't hate it. I mean, I definitely, if I would have made a mock in you know late February, he definitely would have been in it. Obviously the testing didn't go well for him. So that kind of backed it off for me a little bit, but yeah, I don't hate the spot going to Jacksonville here either. It's just a, a team that isn't in another position where they can really go a handful of ways in terms of luxury picks. And Branch won't play on the boundary, but you look at Jacksonville's secondary, if if Branch is there, it just makes too much sense. Like they're still depending on Tyson Campbell to develop and be their number one corner. And he's a Urban Mayan carryover. Like Doug Peterson didn't even draft him. So I, I think they have many secondary needs, including a versatile safety who majority played in the slot last year with Alabama. Yeah, I think I have them taking uh, Deontay Banks, who have going a pick ahead of them to Minnesota. So yeah, I think that that position makes a ton One of One of the many spots that genuinely could just shift like due to the player. Like it's not even the position that I got wrong. It could just be the player I got wrong because there's so many bundled up edges included. Yeah, Scott did the homework here for us. Listed as a cornerback there on NFL.com. So that should probably be our answer. Uh, I don't think we're going to get a safety round one. Uh, market because there's really no one else even sniffing the first round in terms of the safety uh, position. It's a very weak uh, position this draft. So uh, good stuff. Uh, anyone else in closing got anything? Good stuff. Head, head over to go ahead. Cowboys, I would imagine, go offense as well. Bijan, if he's there, I'm not expecting him to be there. Certainly would be the first pick. Jerry Jones would absolutely run to the the counter to throw in that name, but I don't think he'll be there. Thus, some people. Uh, someone on Twitter messaged me and called it lazy that I pinpointed a tight end to Dallas. Uh, that's information and news. Like I came up in the Dallas media. That's not laziness. That's just, I know what this team is targeting, especially if Michael Mayer and Dalton Cater there. So I, I think it's very clear after having no capital who I think they're good players in Jake Ferguson or Peyton Hendershot. They're also not priorities here. Um, I think it's very clear that they're looking at tight end in the first round. Um, all right. Again, head over to 444.com. You can find Daigle's mock there. Again, you can find the previous mocks from Scott, Connor, and myself as well. And take advantage. Again, no house advantage. Go to the app store, download the app, deposit five bucks. You can deposit more. Deposit $100. I don't care, but you can do it for five bucks. Use promo code 444BETS and you can get access to a betting subscription for three months. Again, $150 value. Uh, you'll get an email uh, about 24, 48 hours after depositing. Uh, be patient, and then you'll get access and learn how to access your uh, subscription with us at 4 for 4. So good stuff as always. We'll continue to ramp this up. We'll figure out what that looks like here as we get closer to uh, draft day. Uh, again, two weeks out. So I uh, appreciate everyone hanging out. Again, likes, rate, reviews, share the show. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone.